so Mark 15, the title of this is, I love you to death. Okay, so by now you already know what we're gonna cover. It's a story that most, <clears throat> if not all of you, have heard before or read before, which is a challenge to me because I don't want it to be that story again. You feel me? It's too much, there's too much that happened here for us to sit and listen through this as it was that story again. So let me ask you a question, and you're going to think this is totally random. Any Sylvester Stallone fans in the house? That's it? Y'all don't like Sly? What is your favorite Sylvester Stallone movie? Shout it out for me. A lot of Rockies. Any Rambo fans? Rambo 3 is my favorite Sylvester Stallone movie. I remember, uh, I was young, I don't know, I was a kid, but I remember watching that movie over and over and over again. And it's funny because there's only a few scenes that stuck with me that I remember, okay? Your Rambo fans will, will, will appreciate this one. One, when he's in that, that fight circle, right, and he's got this beast of a dude waiting for him, everybody's betting money, and they, they're fighting with these two, like, sticks, these two batons, right? And I love it when he smacks the ground, picks up his two sticks, and he says, let's go. You know, it's ramble time. <laughs> love it. Gets me pumped up. The other one, the scene that sticks to me is when he's watching these guys playing sheep rugby. Anybody remember that scene? These guys are on the horses. They're playing like a game of rugby, if you will, with a dead sheep. So Rambo's intrigued. He's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? So sure enough, he gets on a horse, he jumps in the game, snatches up the sheep, hits the end zone, spikes the sheep in the end zone, right? Rambo does his thing. Here's the other thing about Rambo that you may not know, Rambo 3 specifically. Rambo killed 78 people in that movie. 78 people. And it's funny because my memory doesn't remember any of them. I really don't. I don't remember any of the, 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 the people that he killed, right? Wiley, where are you going with this? <laughs> We're about to watch Rambo. No. <laughs> There's a difference when we watch Hollywood deaths, Hollywood murder, Right? It's entertainment. We know that those people that died, they're all right. Matter of fact, they got paid. <laughs> all right, kill me. <laughs> um, so we're okay with them. We're okay with that kind of violence. We know it doesn't really mean anything, right? But then there's a different kind of death that hits you home. I don't know, for those of you that are on social media, you might be, um, if you're on Instagram, you might have seen, go ahead and throw on that next image for me. Uh, you might have seen this image come up on your feed before. I know this summer, with all the violence, with all the rioting, everything that was going on, uh, this image came up on my feed from time to time. When you see this kind of violence, when you know there's someone real, whether you're watching it through your phone or whether you're watching it on TV, but you know there's a real act of violence, and you know there's a real death or there's a real murder, I hope you don't sit there and watch it <laughs> throwing popcorn in your mouth like you're watching Rambo 3. 
right? It hits you different. Even if you have no idea who that person is, you have nothing to do with that person. You may even disagree with what that person was doing that caused it. There's still a sense of, it, it turns you from the inside out, right? To watch another human being suffer, never mind die. And again, my whole point, honestly, in this message is, let us never look at the crucifixion as Rambo Three, as Hollywood, as a fairy tale, as this thing that happened at a time far and far away, okay? Let us never look at it that way and just breeze through it and say, let's just get to the good part where he rises from the death, okay? Because that was a real sensitive content death on that day, amen? So we're going to get into uh, Mark 15. I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture with you. Is that okay? Thanks for the eight people that like scripture. (laughs) The rest of y'all really are waiting for Rainbow 3. So we're going to pick up in Mark 15. um, and, And right now he is in the middle of trial with Pilate. Pilate was a Roman governor at the time. Uh, What Mark doesn't hit on, and it's found in Matthew, is that the night he got arrested, last week, Pastor talked about how Judas betrayed him and he got arrested. The night he got arrested, he almost had like a pre-trial with the religious folk, okay? All of the priests, all of the, the, you know, the, the people with titles and the people who were looked at as, you know, special in the religious circles, he had a pre-trial with them, okay? And listen to this, this is in Matthew. And this this scripture is not here for you, but it says they spit in his face. Again, this is the pre-trial with the religious people. They spit in his face, struck him with their fists, and others slapped him and said, prophesy to us now, Messiah, who hit you? So basically, Jesus got jumped in pre-trial by a bunch of religious people. Prophesy us now, who hit you? That means he was getting slapped around by everybody, right? Then it comes to the actual trial now with Pilate, and this is where we're going to pick up in Mark 15, verse 12. And it says, what shall I do then, this is Pilate talking, with the one that you call the king of Jews? Pilate asked him, crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. And they shouted even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, notice Pilate wasn't really convinced by this, right? So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them and he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip and he turned them over into Roman soldiers to be crucified. See, crucifixion, I've been doing a little bit of research on this, but they said there is no modern day torture of death sentence that compares to the process of crucifixion, right? Crucifixion was meant for the worst of the worst. It wasn't meant just for any criminal. It wasn't meant just for anybody who broke Jewish laws, right? It was put aside. It was reserved for the worst of criminals. And man, I just imagine this. And again, I I, got to look at this and and I think of Jesus' love. Here's a crowd of people 
right? And the governor is saying, but why? What has he done? And the crowd of people get louder and louder, yelling, crucify him. And I'm imagining Jesus' face as he's looking at them. And Jesus, in all of his love, just like we, we read later that when he says, forgive them, Father, he's actually looking at them with mercy. Man, that's crazy. They're shouting, crucify him. And I know their face isn't saying, crucify They're saying, crucify him. And he's looking back with mercy. So then he sends us, so it says, Pilate sends him to get flogged. I don't want to paint too graphic of a picture for you, right? But flogging, they, they, they say that the, the, the weapon they used was this wooden handle, and you had these nine leather straps that came out of it. And at the end of the straps, there was a, a lead ball or lead weight, and then they would attach cattle bones to them, right? Broken up cattle bones, so there would be a sharp, sharp point attached to the end. Okay, so every strike, every whip, you got nine, right, pieces of that whip going into him. A modern day doctor said that every one of those, of those nine whips, each of them, depending on how it caught, or depending on the severity of the hit, you're looking at about 15 to 20 stitches, okay? So for every whip, 20 times nine is 180 stitches. Okay? According to tradition, he got whipped 39 times. Let me keep going. Verse 16, uh, 16 through 20. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters and called out the entire regiment. Sometimes I'll just skip words that I don't know how to pronounce and we'll just keep going. Uh, he, the point's still there. He still died on the cross for us. <laughs> they dressed him in a purple robe, and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they saluted him and taunted him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. Man, that verse comes to mind right away, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Right? They just, they're, right now they're mocking, but they don't understand who they're kneeling behind before right now. Um, but this is interesting. It says, uh, they called out the entire regiment. You know what happens when you get all your boys together? So all this, the, the soldiers that were about to, you know, that were in charge of this at the moment, they got, all, they got the whole crew together. What happens when you get all your boys around you? Right? Things become intensified. You want to show off a little bit more. Right? You push things to the limit. You push things to the next level. Which shows me how much more the abuse was. How much more, not only the violence, right? But even the mocking. Even the, the emotional abuse that was taking place. Why? What did he do? What did he do that made these Roman soldiers say, no, we're all going to get together. We're going to take this one to the next level. Um, then they stick the crown of thorns in him. See, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, the way my hands are, are, are set up, if I get a thorn in my hand, it hurts, right? <laughs> I can't even imagine a crown of thorns surrounding my head, 
smacked deep into my skull, okay, as I'm getting laughed at and spit on. I thought about this. A lot of people have this belief that heaven is about my good outweighing my bad. Has anyone ever heard that before? Okay. That when we get to the gates, God is going to pull out this huge golden balance, right? And he's going to put all of our bads on one side and all of our goods on one side, and he's going to sit there and eyeball it to make sure that the good outweighs the bad. Okay? That's such a crazy belief. And here's what that belief does. Okay? It tells Jesus that all of this means nothing to me. It tells Jesus that I don't care how many times you got whipped. I don't care how many lashes you got on your back. I don't care if they spit on your face. As long as I do one more good deed, that's all that matters. Okay? That's what that belief does. Because the truth is, all of this was Jesus saying, you can't do it on your own. No matter how good you try to be, I'm sorry, but it won't be good enough because the standard is God's perfect holiness. So I pray we're not one of those people that say, I did a good deed today, that's a brownie point in heaven. No, it isn't. No, it isn't, okay? This is all of that matters at the end of the day. Let's keep going. Mark 15, 21, 23, a passer by named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside. And just then when the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross, Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus, and they brought Jesus to a place called Gargatha which means the place of skull. Here's a little side note. If you remember Abraham and Isaac, this is the same place where Abraham was bringing Isaac to be crucified. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, and Jesus refused it. The enemy still does this today because in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your tough times in life, Somehow, out of nowhere, comes this little substance. Comes this little way out that says, hey, you're going through a lot. Numb it up. This is too much for you to handle on your own. Go ahead, take this. This will help you deal with it, okay? Even then, they try to give Jesus a roofie to ignore the pain that he was going through. And we all know this. It takes that one time and all of a sudden it becomes, huh, that helped me deal with that situation. Then the next time a tough situation comes, let me try that, oh, that helped again, it worked, right? Next thing you know, it's your only way to work with tough times, right? To work with tribulation, to work with pain. And and through the whole thing, you never learn the healing process that pain brings. Let's keep going to Mark, uh, verse 24. And then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. Did you know that? 
We're here at the 9 o'clock service. It's about 10 o'clock now. But you know it was that early in the morning when this was all taking place? A sign announced the charge against him, and he read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries. And some translations, I know for me, I'm used to hearing the word two thieves were hanging at the cross, right? A, a better word in, in today's terms would be that there were two terrorists that were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Now, again, Mark doesn't really get into what happened with the two uh, terrorists that were nailed to the cross next to him, but there was an interesting interaction that's in Luke 23, right? And one of them starts mocking Jesus and says, hey, aren't you the Messiah? Come on, man, get yourself out of that cross, get us out of here, let's go, right? Then the other thief on the other side says, man, don't you have any respect for God? For God, okay? Don't you have any respect for God, any reverence towards God? He says, we're scum, we deserve this, we're guilty. But this man did nothing. Then he turns to Jesus and says, will you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? That's the heart that Jesus is looking for. He's like, man, I, I messed up. I know I messed up. Will you have mercy on me? Will you remember me? And then Jesus, bleeding to death, suffering in pain, right? Dealing with his own situation. Looks at him and the compassion never goes away. Jesus is Jesus and he says, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise, right? Such a great, again, I guarantee if you pull out that scale, my man's bad might be like, uh, you know, like you've done a couple good things here and there, but they were hard to find. But Jesus, he says, man, your heart, even if it took until this very moment, your heart finally acknowledged who you are and what you need, and you need, you need a savior, you know? Um, and I, can I just throw this out? We, we do a prison ministry, and there are people that wrestle with prison ministry. Do you know that? And I'm not going to say I don't understand partly why. Because when it's personal, some of you, it's been personal, right? So I'm not downplaying that at one bit. But the thing is, when we go into the prisons, people say, but why? They deserve it. They earn it. They're there for a reason, okay? We have people that are are followers of new life now, followers of Jesus, of course, but followers of uh, of new life that came from the prisons and came a fruit of our prison ministry, okay? But when we go into the prison, I believe it's people that are in there saying, Jesus, will you remember me? Right? And the loving, merciful God touches new life and says, go. Let them know I remember them. I don't know about you, but that's what it was for me. It was just a cry to God like, I don't know what's going on, but I need you. And that was my cry, and that's all it took. I can tell you, there was no fancy prayer. There was no script. It was just honest. It was desperate. It was sincere, and it changed my life. 
Verse 29, the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Huh, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, God, save yourself. Come down from that cross. See, the, the crucifixion, sometimes when we see pictures, we see that crucifixion happen like in this hill, like overlooking, you know, like the clouds and there was thunder and lightning in the back. But in reality, they did it purposefully where people are passing by, right? So there were likely multiple, multiple crucifixions happening on a path because they wanted these people to be publicly humiliated in front of society, in front of, you know, the general population. So here he is and people are just passing by, just mocking him. And the thing that got me is the leading priests, right? The leading priests and teachers also mocked him. What kind of religious people are these? If you're a priest of any sort, okay, I don't care who it is, that, what they've done, you're going to walk by a man bleeding to death on a cross and mock him? Where's your heart? Is that someone you want to follow? No wonder the world has a screwed up view of religion. It started way back here, right? These are leaders. These are your role models in society. And here they are walking by a man bleeding to death, mocking him, instead of having any sign of compassion. And then verse 33. I kept this verse by itself. This is one of my favorite verses in this whole story. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. What a powerful picture. So at noon... Jesus is worn out now, okay? The abuse and the beating is taking a, a good toll on him. Everything goes dark. This is a perfect image of the world with God out of it, right? This is Jesus in the physical. Nobody can deny it. And it says over, across the whole land. It wasn't just like, it went like across the whole land, there was no light. Okay? In other words, take good out of the world, you're left with darkness. And I feel like we're in a place right now in society where we don't understand that. We're in a place in society where we're always finding different ways to push God further. We're always finding different ways to push God out of this, out of that. Just put him in that little religious box for your church people. We're okay over here. Take your God. Put them in a box, close it, y'all do your thing. And then we wonder why we're left with darkness, right? And I take that and, and take that in any, any given day. The moment you take God out of your life, on a Tuesday, on a Friday night, no matter what it is, the moment you take God out of your life, remember, you're taking light out, okay? So don't be surprised if your life is left with darkness. When you take God out, that's what you're left with, okay? Such a powerful picture to me of just him allowing, and, and you know, and I, I wonder like what, how many people try to, even today, if you look at this, if you try to Google this, people try to say, oh, it was an eclipse. It was, they, they try to like scientifically explain it. 
I'm like, really? It's that much of a coincidence? You, you really want to think that way? That takes so much more faith for you to believe that at that moment, as the Savior of the world is dying and he's trying to, you know, paint this picture, you think a solar eclipse happened. Well, guess what? If it was, God did it because he controls the earth too. So either way, it's a miracle. Let's keep going. Verse 34. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Or why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought that he was calling out for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran out, filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him with a reed stick so he could drink. Go ahead, keep going for me. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. And then Jesus uttered another loud cry, breathed his last breath, and the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom, when the Roman officers stood facing him, saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. So, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? This is a psalm. If you go back to Psalm 22, that psalm begins with the same exact words, okay? Jesus was trying to point, because there was one thing the religious people of the time knew, they knew scripture. So Jesus was trying to point back to the old prophets. That was prophet, that was David that wrote that psalm. He was trying to paint back and say, hey, remember David? Because you all follow David. Y'all were believers in David. He prophesied this day will come, okay? And then here's the interesting thing. In that Psalm 22, it ends with, and he has done it. What was Jesus' last words? Mark doesn't say what the words were, but his last words was, it is finished, right? He has done it, it is finished. And if you look back at that Psalm, it's really amazing. First of all, it was about a thousand years before Jesus came, but the other thing, it was hundreds of years before this, there was such thing as a crucifixion. And if you look at the psalm, it talk, it, the details shows what it's like to be crucified, okay? Uh, so I'm gonna leave, uh, that's homework for you. But then the other piece is this. There was a moment right there where there was an experience that Jesus had never experienced before. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. God made him who had no sin or who knew no sin to be sin for me. Okay? That in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there was a moment where Jesus, who had never experienced sin, knew not what sin was, right? He took on the sins of the world. There was a moment where he took on the pain of the sins of the world. And for that brief moment, he experienced something he had never experienced before. And that's when he shouted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay? And God had to allow that. And again, it comes back to the love. But God had to allow that okay, so that Jesus would take on the pain and suffering and the consequence of sin. And then 
the, 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 the man at the end, I love this response, but then the Roman soldier at the end sees all of this happening, and he says, the way this, this thing just happened, everything I just witnessed, this man was truly the son of God. And I really pray that we, beyond a shadow of a doubt, whether you're online watching us, okay, or any of us here, that that is our 100% honest response, okay? And if it is, if you do believe that Jesus loves you to death, okay, here's what I believe our life should look like. These are three steps on our part that shows how much we believe that God loved us. Number one is living with eternal gratitude. There's nothing that anyone could ever do that you could be more thankful for. Nothing. Okay? There is, you know, it's not about a circumstance that happened that day, that, that extra stimulus check that came in the mail. Okay? It's not about this person that finally commented on your post and you've been waiting for them this whole time. Right? It's not about this, you know, job promotion that you got. It's not about anything that can make you happy. Right? It's an eternal gratitude that says, man, today was a rough day. But guess what, God? You were still there. You know? Today I had to come, overcome some things, but God, I believe you're teaching me for the future. Right? It's the eternal gratitude that says, man, I failed. I failed. I'll be 100% honest with you. I shared this with my wife the other day. I made a bad decision this week. And it, it hurt me. Because as soon as it happened, I'm like, Wadley, why did you do that? That wasn't, the, that wasn't it. And it messed me up. Because if I'm going to be 100% honest with you, it messed me up even more because I knew I was going to be here this morning. Okay? Not that I changed my life because I get to be up here. I don't ask to be up here. But it did mess me up even more. And then I had to remember, it's not about my actions. Of course, God wants me to be in path with him, but guess what? He's still forgiving me, and he called me to do this regardless. He, like, he knew I was going to mess up and do something stupid eventually. He knows me. You know what I mean? So have that, have that eternal gratitude, okay? Even when you do fall short, God's like, all right, well, pick yourself up. Let's go. What's next? Let's move on from this, okay? So have that gratitude that God is always there saying, come on, we got this, let's go, okay? And then the second thing is to develop a relationship. And this goes back to the beginning when I was talking about this story not being just the Jesus story again, okay? When you develop a, a true relationship and Jesus is personal to you, I hope that every time you remember the cross, it brings you back, right, to how much he loved you and how much he's done for us. I hope it's never just another story. But this relationship that you build, okay, it, it carries you in every single area of your life. This relationship in my own way has helped me become a husband. I never... Listen, before Jesus, I didn't even had a desire, really, to be a husband. I was doing my thing, right? But to know what it's like to be a father, you know, to be a good friend, and so on, in every area of my life, 
In this relationship, there's a powerful picture in that verse we just read about the veil. See, Pastor Marcus showed us a, a, a video about the temple, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. And he showed the whole temple, and he talked about this curtain, this veil, right? Because in the temple, there was a separation between where people believed God's presence dwelt, okay? God's presence dwelt in this room, the Holy of Holies. And then there was this thick veil, 30 feet long. And on the other side is where people could be. So in other words, there was a physical separation between people and God, and only specific people, only the high priests could go there, and they had to prepare themselves immensely to be able to get in and risk their own life. Okay? But during the crucifixion, there's a reason why the gospel makes sure they point that out. During the crucifixion, during the time of death, when Jesus let out that last cry, it is finished. The Bible says the veil was turned from top to bottom. That, that temple was about a mile away, at least. Okay? The veil being turned from top to bottom is a symbol of there's no longer this block, there's no longer this wall between man and God. Okay? So there's nothing, there's nothing that Jesus would want more in return than a relationship. He's like, you don't have to go to the high priest. You don't live your Christianity through Pastor Markle. You don't become a Christian and follow what T.D. Jakes does. It's you. I want to be in your heart. I want, to, I want you to wake up and think of me. You ever been so deeply in love with somebody that you wake up and you're like, what are they doing right now? Right? <laughs> Meanwhile, actually, I'm not even going to say it. But that's the relationship that he wants. When you're joyful, he wants you to think of him. When you're celebrating your birthday, he wants you to think of him. Okay? He doesn't want you to be in a state of mind where, remember, you took Jesus out and now you're in darkness, right? When you're going through the toughest times, he wants you to think of him. That's the relationship that he wants you to develop. That's why the veil was torn. And then the last thing, is he wants you to share that love. And I get it. This is one of those things. It's, be, it, it, it's become a little, I guess it's become a little weird. You know, I guess we make, we make something out of it that I really think it shouldn't be. I met someone randomly the other day through uh, uh, Facebook Marketplace. I was doing a quick exchange. You ever meet someone and, and your heart just says, man, this person's going through something? You ever, meet, you ever have that happen to you? And, and without exchanging many words, the person says something, and in, in my head I'm like, man, this person's going through something, right? So I, I wanted to say something, but it was just, I didn't do it. I didn't get the chance, and it was awkward, I guess, whatever. But I was, it was sitting in me, and it was, it was convicting me, it was heavy. So I ended up messaging the person and said, hey, I, this may sound completely weird and, and, and you know, random to you, but man, God loves you so much, right? And that's all it takes, like, let God do the rest, okay? Let God do the rest. But sometimes someone just needs to be reminded, no, God sees you, right? Just like the prison at the cross, will you remember me? So sometimes it's just that quick, it's that easy. Say, hey, it, it, it seems like you're going, you're going through a lot. 
So share his love and let God do the rest. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.